third chapter we're into this evening of the book of First Samuel. And once again, as we start this third chapter, remember what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's contrasting between the family of uh, Eli and his sons, the priest, Eli's the high priest, with the contrast with Elkinah and Hannah and their family. And Hannah and Elkinah, they have moved off the scene because she had made a vow to the Lord that if, she gave, if he gave her a male child, he would give it back to the Lord. And that's what she's done in the second chapter. And so now we're beginning to look at the life of the boy Samuel, how the Lord had no one really to speak to, to pour his word into their hearts. You think of the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, where the Lord was quiet for those 400 years after that. Well, that's what he's waiting on, someone to pour his heart into, someone will, that will not only listen to him, but obey his word. And that's what we're going to find out Samuel is doing. Once again, I tell you guys all the time, I love one of the reasons I love God so much is because he's not a respecter of person. And as I was thinking about the family of Elkinah, they were just a regular Hebrew family. And all of the status and the prestige went to the Levites, the priests. And uh, I thought about the ninth judge in the book of Judges of Jephthah. And remember Jephthah uh, his other, his other brothers, they had their mom and dad, but Jephthah's mom was a harlot. And so they ran Jephthah off from the inheritance. And sooner or later, when the Ammonites came to do battle against Israel, they went back and they found Jephthah. And Jephthah went and he defeated the Ammonites. And the point I'm making here, one thing we found out about Jephthah, that he raised his daughter in the ways of the Lord. And because Jephthah comes and he makes the foolish vow, but she still went through with it. So if we really look at the backdrop, the back scene to the book of Samuel, especially the first 10, 12 verses, it speaks of how to raise, how to bring your children up in the ways of the Lord. If we're, if we're just faithful to do that, then I believe with all my heart, the Lord is gonna do his part. And we see that in the life of Samuel here. Verse 1 tells us of chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered or served to the Lord before Eli. Samuel was Eli's understudy. Samuel, it says, was ministering to the Lord. There's a difference between ministering to the Lord and ministering for the Lord. When you think about ministering to the Lord, you think about a Bible study, a sermon, uh, going out, doing Operation Christmas Child, you're serving the Lord. And that's great. That's good and well. But when you minister for the Lord, I mean to the Lord, on the other hand, that's when you are drawing near to the Lord. That's when you're at home. Nobody sees you. 
but you're having those intimate Bible studies. You're having those uh, uh, devotions in the morning or in the evening. You have that special prayer time when it's one-on-one with the Lord. I think I probably told this story before. I remember with my son, Anthony, when he gave his life to the Lord, I would always, when I would call him or he would call me, and I would say, okay, he says, I've been going to church. This is going on. That's going on. But I would say, but what are you doing with the Lord? And he would say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, daddy. I, ha- I have my quiet time. I'm, uh, time. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And I remember one day I was driving home because me being a pessimistic guy that I am, I was telling Lydia, I, you know, I, I don't know if Anthony's saved or not. I, I, I just don't know. But I'm praying. I'm hoping and all those things. And he called me one day as I was going home, and he says, Daddy, let me tell you about what I got out of the book of Amos. And I said, what? The book of Amos? And, and he really impressed me with that. But then he asked me a question. It was one of those days that I was down. I was telling him what was going on in the church, this and that, what I was teaching. And guess what he said? But I want to know what the Lord has been teaching you. And I said, Wow. I said, Bright, you got me this time, man. I'm not doing good, but I'm sure he's going to pour into me sooner or later. But that's, we may not, can't teach, we may can't lead a Bible study. I don't know what your gift, what your calling is, but every one of us that's a child of God can minister to him. And that's the greatest calling any of us could have to minister to the Lord. That's why he created us. That's why he saved us, that we might have one-on-one fellowship with him. Uh, Samuel doesn't have a position right now. All he's doing is ministering to the Lord, and he's blessing the Lord. And the Lord is going to bless him because all that Samuel desires is just intimacy with the Lord. And that's the only thing the Lord has ever asked of us. He hasn't asked us to be a uh, Spurgeon or C.H. McIntosh or Billy Graham or, or any of those other guys. He wants someone that will minister to him. And that's what Samuel is doing here, and it's very important. Anyway, it says, and the word of the Lord was rare. It was valuable. It was prized. It was precious in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And the reason there was no widespread revelation, why would there be? No one's following the Lord. No one's listening to the Lord. Still in that process of every man is doing what's right in their own eyes. And so the judgment of God, when those things are happening, he just doesn't speak. He's not going to waste his breath knowing that if he speaks, no one is going to obey. So that's why God was silenced right here, not speaking to anyone. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, speaking of the the lampstand, speaking of the menorah that was on the left side, of the table of showbread, the only light, remember, that was in the tabernacle. And the priest would go in evening and morning and trim the wicks because those lights 
had to be a continual burning, speaking of the word of the Lord. And it says it was growing dim at that time in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down, and at this time, most commentators, most scholars think Samuel is around the age of 12. So he's just a little young rookie that the Lord calls Samuel. And he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and laid down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. God is wooing, God is drawing Samuel is doing all the right things. He's in the tabernacle. He's, he, he, he's serving the Lord. And God begins to draw him. And once again, it says, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And nothing has changed. God still operates this way. Parents, as for your kids, make sure they are reading the word. Make sure they are having quiet times. And if you can have one-on-one family Bible studies like we used to do when the kids were small, because the seed of the word is going onto their hearts, into their hearts. And they might not be saved while they're a child. It might be 10 years later. I remember what John Corson said, the, the seed of the word is like the Unabomber. You guys remember the Unabomber? All of a sudden, that seed will explode. The word of God is powerful. It's living. It's active. So if you can just get them to read the word, when the Lord begins to draw, that seed will already be there. So at this time, Samuel was doing the right thing, but as yet, he didn't know the Lord. Verse 8 tells us, and the Lord calls Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, by this time, I would have been a little hot. Hey, what are you doing, Eli? I know you're talking to me. What's going on here? But he's a good dude. He says, here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived, he discerned that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be. He knows if he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Before all of this had taken place, what was Samuel doing? He was serving the Lord already. That's usually how it works. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now I have to give kudos to Eli here. The Lord has stopped speaking to Eli. Eli, I would say, was lukewarm at this time. Remember, he wouldn't discipline his sons knowing what they were doing. And so my mind began to wonder, Eli, he knew the voice of the Lord. I wonder, was Eli envious or jealous of Samuel during this time? Eli could have said, oh, it's nothing. Just go down and go to sleep. If you hear something, it's not me. Don't worry about it. But he didn't do that. He told him exactly what to do. And Eli reminds me of the church of Ephesus 
in Revelations chapter 2, 1 through 5, this is what it says. To the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and, I ha- and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. This is all the Lord wants from us, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I wonder, did Eli think back to when the Lord, he would speak to the Lord all the time and how his joy was full by fellowshipping with the Lord. Whenever we begin to say, oh, I remember when we're in trouble, we need to right then and there repent and go back to our first love. Anytime, a lot of people, especially coming out of Calvary Chapel, I remember when Calvary Chapel was this. I remember when Calvary Chapel was that. He's the same God. He's the same Lord. He's just looking for hearts that wants to be poured into. So whenever we begin to say, I remember when, we need to repent and do our first works. And you know, we may need to do that several times in our walk with the Lord before he calls us home. There's no shame about that. At least we're keeping a short list. At least we're taking a litmus test on our walk with the Lord. So we just repent and go back to our first love. It's better than being a hypocrite. We know God hates hypocrites. Hypocrites are self-deceived. So when you feel yourself becoming jaded about the things that might be going on in the world or, hey, the church is not doing this and the church is not doing that and we're like uh, Elijah, Lord, I'm the only one here that loves you. Everybody else has turned their backs on you. No, we just do what we're supposed to do. Draw near to the Lord and he'll take care of the rest. So it says, so Samuel went. And lay down in his place. Verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. He calls his name twice. Like he did Jacob and Abraham and Saul. And Samuel answers, speak for your servant hears. We have to understand this wasn't a dream or a vision. This was a manifestation of Yahweh God. I don't know if it was a light. I don't know if it was smoke. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a theophany of Jesus Christ. But there was a presence there that Samuel was blessed to behold. Then the Lord said to Samuel, we need a play to act this out. This would be great. I can just see him speaking to him. Behold, consider this. I will do something in Israel at which both 
ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Remember, he's a 12-year-old kid, and this is a weighty message that the Lord has given him. And this is a, a pronouncement of, of, of a judgment when the Lord says this. He says in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 12, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears will tingle. <laughs> verse 12. I almost said something, but yeah, I'm going to tell you anyway. That would be in the summer hour family with my two brothers, one, one brother and two sisters, and we've been cutting up uh, that day off, off a summer vacation or something, and my mom would say, your dad's coming home in a minute. And that would make our ears tingle because judgment would be coming. And so that's why I laughed at that. But then he would grab us and hug us and tell us how much we loved him. He loved us, but we deserved it. Verse 12, in that day, he says, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Remember, he's already, God has already went to Eli because he doesn't speak behind our backs. He goes to Eli and tells him, Eli, this is what's going to happen to you. And so he's just affirming it here. He's letting Samuel know what's going on. But notice what he tells him. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. That's a long time. For the iniquity, which he knows, that's the issue when it comes to Eli. He knows what's going on with Hophni and Phinehas. And he doesn't have the courage to do anything about it. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. Eli committed a sin of omission here. And then he says, and therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. We know sins of commission is blatant. I told you not to do this. I told you not to steal this. I told you not to take this, and you took it. Sins of omission is a parent may tell their child, I want you to clean up your room before you start playing your video games. But they don't clean up their room, but they're playing the video games. That's a sin of omission. They knew what to do, but they didn't do it anyway. That's, Sam, that's uh, Eli's issue here. And it doesn't matter. Sins of commission, sins of omission are the same with God. It's still sin to him. And it's almost like, uh, and it really is. Remember in the Old Testament, I'm so thankful that I didn't, I wasn't born in the time of the Old Covenant. Because the Old Covenant, go back and read it. There was no sacrifice for intentional sin. If you just, here's the line, don't cross over it. I know what to do, and I just crossed over it. There was no sacrifice. You were just in hot water. Numbers 15, 30, 31 says this. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, 
and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. All the way in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 22, verse 19, it speaks of uh, intentional sin. There's no sacrifice. So God has spoken to Eli, told him the judgment that is coming to his house. It won't be very soon. Eli will be cut off soon, but it'll be another 130 years before his line is gone. It says in 1 Samuel 14, 3, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So Ahijah served as high priest of Saul. He was the great-grandson of Eli through Phinehas and Ahitub, it says. The prophecy to Samuel came to pass fully when Abiathar, the son of Ahijah, was replaced by King David with Zadok. And that's after Abiathar sided with Adonijah. Remember when Adonijah tried to take over, throw a coup on David's line, but he couldn't do it. So he's made Abiathar, who was the high priest, step down. So once again, this prophecy didn't come to complete fulfillment for another 130 years. And as I was thinking of some of the offspring of Eli, remember the curse that the Lord said? He says, those that I don't take away quickly will be begging for bread. They will not live a long life. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, they will be begging for bread and they will not live a long life, but they will still have an opportunity to know you. And that's what it's all about. Knowing the Lord, no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves in. I think about Haiti a lot and how poor of a country that is. And it's a lot of believers over there. They will never get outside of Haiti, but they've given their lives to the Lord. So surely us in America, when hard times do come our way, can stay strong in the Lord and say, Lord, not our will, your will be done. It's just good to know that one day I'm going to be home with you. Verse 15 says, so Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. So he pulls rank on uh, Samuel right here and a little intimidation going on. And I'm sure you will find out he spills the beans quickly. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. That's kind of passive to me. God has already spoken to Eli. Eli knows the judgments that's coming. Now he's affirmed from Samuel 
And he says, hey, whatever the Lord does, he's going to do anyway. It's good. And he reminds me of Hezekiah. When Hezekiah in 2 Kings did the same thing. When Hezekiah was sick and he turned his face to the wall and he began to pray. And then the Lord comes back and he, the prophet comes back and he heals him. And then remember what Hezekiah did when he was well? The Babylonians came and they wanted to see everything in the temple. And Hezekiah shows them everything. And then the prophet comes back and he says, Hezekiah, why would you do that? And he says, because you did that, Hezekiah, everything in the temple will be taken from you. And he says the same word, at least, nevertheless, at least it's not going to happen in my day. I think that's kind of selfish, but that's what Eli says here. Verse 19 says, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. That's the sign that Samuel is a true prophet of God. And that Samuel was in a love relationship with the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. He's growing with the Lord. And the Lord proved to everybody around him that he would be the mouthpiece for the Lord, the prophet of the Lord. It says in verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba from the north to the southern borders knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. The people all knew that he was God's man. Then the Lord, notice what it says, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So he's speaking, he's pouring into Samuel, and it seems like he's not speaking to anyone else. But a new era is passing away, is coming where the priests, remember they used the Urim and the Thummim. Also the ephod would speak to them. The Lord would speak to them through that. But now the prophets are being spoken to by the Lord. And notice it says, by the word of the Lord. And that's the primary way that the Lord speaks to his children today. If we want to understand, if we want to hear from the Lord, the primary way is by his word and in prayer. But once again, we have to also understand the Lord will stop speaking if he's speaking and we're not obeying. It's a good thing to know that if the Lord stops speaking to me for a minute and I'm obeying him, that he's teaching me more and more to walk by faith. But when I know I haven't been obeying him, and he's not speaking, I need to repent and get right back in fellowship with the Lord. So Samuel is following the Lord. Chapter four, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. We will hear of the Philistines 150 times in the book of first and second Samuel. Remember, they are the perennial enemy, the major enemy of Israel right now. They probably came from Crete, uh, maybe a part of the Phoenicians. But remember, from the Aegean Sea, they come in and they really begin to take over everything because they know about metallurgy and they're getting all of these weapons. But Israel had formidable weapons also. And Israel are going to take more men 
into the battle than the Philistines. Right now, they're, they're, they're over the five cities of the Philistines, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. But they're moving in. Remember, in the book of Judges, Dan, I think they were in the northern part, but the Philistines come in and they make them move more up into the mountains. So even at that time, the Philistines are making themselves known and they're becoming more defiant. And Israel is in trouble at the time right here. But it says, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped by Ebenezer. And this tells us that, and I think it's Samuel who wrote First and Second Samuel, because he speaks of Ebenezer right now, and it hasn't even been, been named. It'll be 20 more years before uh, Ebenezer will be named, so he's telling us about it. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array, in battle formation against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Can you imagine 4,000 men just strewn in the field? It says, and when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel says, now please note the statement that the elders make. Why has the Lord, not the Philistines, defeated us today before the Philistines? That's a great question. Because the elders knew and the children of Israel probably knew that if they obeyed the Lord, no one could stand against them. So they knew something was wrong. And that's the same thing for the believer today. The scripture tells us no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Even when we think Things didn't go right. Even when we may think, I lost this one. There's no losing truly when you're in Christ. He will turn everything for our good as long as we're walking with him. We're undefeated. So he says in verse 3, the latter part, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hands of of our enemies. I've been doing my own thing lately. I've been doing what I want to do. I haven't been listening to the Lord and I'm, things are going fine. But soon as the bottom falls out, let's go get the box. Let's go to church this weekend. Things aren't going well. That's exactly what the children of Israel, they're doing here. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. It's their good luck charm. Many years in my BC days, when I used to watch the American Music Awards and BET Awards, and I was amazed, and I'm still amazed today, that all of the people who would win the awards, the rappers, the, the rock stars, as the rappers and the rock stars, they're cursing all their lyrics, their cursed lyrics, and, and they get up there and the first thing they say is what? Thank God. <laughs> and I'm thinking, something's wrong with this picture. Even I know <laughs> you, you, that's not right. That's the same thing that's happening here. And it was ironic. They might say it now, a little blatant more now. 
But all the time I would watch those shows, I never heard any of them. Not one time when I would watch, give thanks to Jesus. It was always thank God. And that's strange to me. But it's ironic that the children of Israel, they're doing the same thing and they don't even know the Lord. They're not even walking with the Lord at this time. A great, Psalms 50 is a great psalm. Read it sometimes. But my favorite verse is in there. It's when the Lord begins to just chop you down more and more. All of those hypocrites who talk about the Lord. And he says, you don't even know me. So two lines, 16 and 17 says this. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statues or take my covenant in your mouth? seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. Those are powerful words. And that's exactly what they're doing. But they say, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant. Chapters three through chapter six, 35 times they will speak of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord. And it's redundant for a reason. Because what the Lord is telling us, you, you are giving honor to this box, but you're not giving honor to me. It's not about this box. Yes, in my humility, I dwell. The ark is my footstool, and I dwell there. But the Bible says the heavens of heavens can't contain me. It's almost like a a good luck charm or, or, or remember those rabbit foot feet? I used to have those, kept it in my pocket, never brought me any good luck. That's what they're doing here. And it's not going to bring them any good luck either. You cannot put God in a box. God does, and I was talking to someone about this Sunday, whenever we try to put him in a box, we really hold him in because we're not expecting more from him. He's already said he wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. So we need to let him be God because whatever we think, whatever we think is grand or great, he wants to do so much more. So we need to reverence God. We don't need to reverence a a church building. We don't need to reverence a box. I hate when I see those t-shirts that says, Jesus is my homeboy. I get, yeah, he's, I can relate to him and all, but there's just no reverence. There's no, he's holy. God is holy. And we need to come here to be fed with the word and fellowship with our brothers and sisters, but it should be a special place. And for the believer, when we have Christ Jesus in us, wherever we go, it's consecrated to the Lord if we bend our will to his. And so right now they're just thinking, hey, he's the good luck charm. We don't have to be walking correctly. We don't have to be walking by grace the best we can doing the right thing. We can live any way we want to because that's what Hophni and Phinehas is doing. And the reason they say go get the ark because remember scripture has told us in chapter two that everybody in Israel knew what those two boys were doing. They hadn't seen the hand of judgment. 
They hadn't seen uh, Eli correct them. And so it begin, they begin to say, if it's okay for those two to do those things, it's okay for me. God is winking at their sin. So it's okay for me to do that. But read your word. Don't watch the hypocrite who thinks he can live any way he wants, wants to and do what he wants to and say, hey, it's okay for me. Read your word and the word will correct us on that. But verse four tells us, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from the, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Notice they weren't at the battle. Notice they were probably just having a good time. And then they say, hey, bring the ark. And I'm pretty sure they didn't ask Eli, could they take the ark? Because they were running over him anyway. And Eli knew better. The ark had never went into battle with the children of Israel. The only time that happened is when they were going to the promised land. When they got in the promised land, the ark was settled. But now all of a sudden, because they had no relationship with the Lord, they wanted to go get the ark. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They were excited. They were fired up. They were having a pep rally. They were about to win this battle, they thought. We're not going to be perfect, not in these bodies. But we can walk in a sphere of righteousness. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Not going to be perfect in these bodies. But day in and day out, by the grace of God, we can live set apart lives. He has given us everything for life and godliness. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. I know it's lengthy, but it's good. Paul says, O Corinthians, you know the issues he had at Corinth. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Notice what he says. You're not restricted by us. We're not telling you anything wrong. We're not, we're not putting chains on you saying you can't do this and you can't do that. But you just don't want to obey the word because he comes back and says, but you are restricted. The problem is by your own affections. You love the world. You want to be a part of it. You love self more than you love God. Paul says, now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Open up to us. Open up to the word that we're, I'm, I'm giving you. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's more than the marriage bed. We can go out and witness. We can share the word. But just hanging out with unbelievers. That's what he speaks of here. We like to take it just for being married. And that's very, very important. But that's all walks of life. That's why the Lord sent his disciples out two by two. Paul continues, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. That tells me if you do these things, I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. They don't do that. They go into this battle against the Philistines because they have this box with them. The presence of God dwelt between the cherubim once again, but the heavens of heavens can't contain him. And that's why they continue to speak of the covenant that was described in Exodus and Leviticus. We have to remember once again, the main thing that was in the covenant was the commandments of the Lord. And once again, remember, if you do these things, I will bless you. If you don't do these things, I will curse you. I will make your enemies pursue you and overtake you. They're doing all of these things, but not one time will, do we see in scripture that they repent. All they had to do is repent and God would have come back to them and helped them, but they never did. They were superstitious. We have this trinket, so we're going to win the battle. But it's not going to happen that way. Verse 6. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, plural. So they know nothing about the one true God. But they are afraid of him, more than the Israelites that's going to battle is. These are the gods, and they know the fame of him. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness, this was over 500 years had passed. And they still understand the fame of God. They have, the Philistines even have a great memory of God. It's a shame when the unbeliever has more reverence for the one true God than those that the Lord is drawing and wooing them. And this is exactly what happens here. He says in verse 9, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. They had them in subjugation. Once again, the tribe of Dan, they had in subjugation, and they were trying to take over the rest of the Israelites. Conduct yourself like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. All because, truly, all because of Hophni and Phinehas and Eli. Because if Eli would have did what he was supposed to do, I think all of Israel 
people to understand the judgment of God. But he, that's why it's important for us as believers to be sought in light. That's why it's important to live holy lives best we can because people are watching. Verse 11, also the ark of God was captured. Not the God of the ark. You can't capture him, but the ark of God. And that's a vast difference. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And we find out from Jeremiah that Shiloh was also destroyed. And the ark or the temple, the tabernacle, will never be at Shiloh again. They will move it to Judah. From Judah, they will move it from Beth Shemesh, from Beth Shemesh to Kareth Jerum, and from there, it will go to Jerusalem. Then a man of Benjamin, and of all the people I would want to be in a battle, I'd want to be this man right here. <laughs> I don't think he fights. I think all he does is run and tell the news. That tells you a little bit about me. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day. They didn't have emails. They didn't have phones. So he was the runner and came to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dirt on his head, a sign of mourning, a sign of this is not good news. Now, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. Look at verse 15 real quick. It says, uh, Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were so dim that he could not see. So he was watching with his eyes. He was listening, wanting to find out what was going on. It says, for his heart trembled, not for his sons. So that tells you a little bit, that's a compliment for Eli. But for the ark, ark of God. That's special. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Here it is again. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? The shoe will begin to drop four wrongs, one death blow after another. He says in verse 17, so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. That's the first one. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Number two, also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Number three, and the final blow and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off, off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. I don't know if he had a stroke, heart attack, for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. I think we'll see him in the kingdom God knew his heart. We all err, the Bible says, in many ways. The thing is, don't stay there. 
but I implore you guys, especially you guys who have young children, pour into them, pour into them, more than pour into them, live holy lives. That speaks volumes. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child due to, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, do not fear for you have born a son, but she did not answer, nor did she regard it. The idea is her heart wasn't into it. It didn't matter much anymore now. She had no desire to live. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed. And that's what Ichabod means. I'm, I'm reminded in the book of Ezekiel when so much immorality and things were going on in the temple. He tells, gosh, I can't think of that prophet. Help me think of that prophet. He goes into the temple. Son of man, Ezekiel, come on. Son of man, go into the temple and dig into the wall and see what the priests are doing. And all the, as he does that, he begins to see all of these vile pictures, pornography, and all the things they were doing. And the Lord says, I'm leaving. And all of a sudden, the glory departs from the temple. God dwells in us. Ephesians says, make Christ be at home in our hearts. And that's the goal. I say all the time, I, I want Christ to be comfortable inside me. I want him to be able to kick off his shoes and kick back and say, Man, I, I love visiting you. I love just being here because I'm always relaxed. I'm always at home. You know, when people come over to your house sometimes, I love it when people call me, hey, can I come over? Because that gives me time to clean up. <laughs> so call first. My point is, we need to carry around that. Keep this temple clean. Keep it clean because he's at home. And he loves to be at home and he loves to get here and kick off his shoes and relax. And that's the way we should live. Then she named the child Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The box was gone for sure. But as we all know, we could never capture God. God was pouring into Samuel. Samuel was going to be a great prophet of the Lord, his mouthpiece for many years. God had found someone he could pour into, and he takes pleasure in that. I'm going to close with this verse because, once again, I think these first six chapters of 1 Samuel speaks primarily about raising kids and living holy lives that your kids can see 
and, and that speaks volume, like I said. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And I know really, if you look at this scripture, people don't use it much for raising kids. But by the grace of God, if we just do this, that's all they really need. And it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I like how the King James says it. All scripture is God breathed, Ruach. That's what it is. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof when they need that, for correction when they need that, when I need that, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what these first six, seven chapters speak of living holy lives, living set-apart lives, no matter what. If we can win every battle, if we're in intimate relationship with the Lord, no matter what's going on in our life, if it seems like our lives are upside down, if God is with us, who can be against us? And we should be confident in those things. He will come through in his timing. We just need to learn to wait and rest in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm amazed by your grace. Lord, every time I think about these first four chapters in 1 Samuel, your hand of judgment didn't come all at one time. It didn't come quickly. You gave those boys space for repentance because that's how you are. You're a long-suffering God, but you don't wink at sin. And Father, I pray that we will take that and store it in our hearts, Lord. We're in an intimate relationship with you now, Lord. Nothing can separate us from your love. But Lord, we want a vibrant fellowship with you. We're on our way to heaven because you have saved us by your dear son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we do drop the ball, when we do miss the mark, we can ask for forgiveness. We can repent and you will wash us and you will cleanse us by the blood of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like that commercial, our, our surf pro, I think. It's like it never happened. And that's the way you work, Lord. And I, I thank you for that. I thank you for that for my brothers and sisters that we can confess our sins and you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Lord, what you want is fellowship. What you want is obedience through your grace. So Father, I pray that we all would yield to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be the salt and light that you've called us to be, Father God. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would do great things in our lives, great things at Calvary Restore, and we'll be sure to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, Lord. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Whew. I should have said.